electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. WeWork co-founder Adam Newman resigned from the CEO role this week in the face of skepticism about the co-working startup's plans to go public. There are questions about the business model. We've addressed some of those on Fort Knox. Uh, there are some questions about his eccentric leadership style and questions about the way he's maintained control of the company while taking lots of money out of it. WeWork's in the headlines this week, but we've lived through versions of this story before. Uber's board of directors pushed co-founder Travis Kalanick out of the CEO role to get the IPO done. The Google founders brought in Eric Schmidt early on as CEO to act as adult supervision. And the biggie, well, Apple co-founder Steve Jobs was effectively forced out of Apple in the 80s, only to come back a decade later to really save the company. We love founders. Their stories, their personalities live at the heart of companies. But sometimes they've got to go. But when? And when is firing the founder a mistake? Welcome to Fort Knox, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. I'm John Fort from CNBC, here at the NASDAQ market site overlooking Times Square. With me this week, tech chronicler Stephen Levy of Wired Magazine. He's covered big companies, big ideas, big personalities. His most recent book was about Google. He's got a book coming out the beginning of next year, January 2020. Circle your calendar, Facebook. And also with me this week, Walter Isaacson, biographer of great founders and inventors, including Steve Jobs, Ben Franklin, Albert Einstein, and Leonardo da Vinci. Just a, a bunch of guys who you might have heard of. <laughs> guys, both of you, welcome. Uh, Walter, I, I was not surprised, of course, that Adam Newman got pushed out as CEO, but I was surprised how fast. Were you? Well, I think when you're burning through money as fast as he was and you have uh, a lot of banks that have put up money and people like Jamie Dimon who are trying to protect the loans they have, uh, it did seem to happen fast. Uh, I think it was a combination both of the burning through the money but also the really weird and erratic behavior. But as you said, weird and erratic behavior has been uh, a, a trait of a lot of founders, uh, including... Um, you know, Travis Kralinick, uh and Steve Jobs and, uh, you know, some of the people that really have uh, founded amazing companies. Uh, Stephen, you've talked to many of these people in your extensive chronicling of tech and broader subjects. How common is it for these folks, many of them guys, most of them guys, to be a little out there? Um, it's fairly common, and you know, uh, the really successful founders generally are pursuing a course which a lot of people think is crazy. Mm. They, you know, uh, the, the companies that are disruptive that change our worlds are companies with business plans that a lot of people thought you know, really can't happen, and the entrenched powers uh, are pursuing a business plan which is totally different. Otherwise, uh, somebody would have done it already. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. And you know, uh, so you have to have you know almost a quixotic 
approach to doing things, and that also is in sync with a, a strange personality. You know, it, it, it takes a, a certain kind of person to be able to withstand that kind of criticism, people telling you, you know, this is a nutty idea. Um, in more recent years, venture capitalists have picked up on that, and they're more likely now to throw money at someone with a crazy idea if it's actually crazy. Okay, and Walter, I, <laughs> you've gotta be crazy, but not so crazy that you repel people because people have gotta to wanna to follow you, right? It's, a, it's an interesting line that some of the most famous founders walk. Yeah, when Steve Jobs came back to Apple and he helped write an ad uh, that was a def definition of the company, he talked about the people who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do. You know, Stephen Levy has written about this and knows more about this than I do. But you do have to, as Stephen just said, have that ability to say, I'm going to do something crazy here. Otherwise, other people would have done it before. Mm. And, and so when you look at what forces companies, or, or at least companies Walter feel forced to push a founder out, what's the, what's the sort of crisis that brings it to that level? And it's different, isn't it, from forcing out you know, a, a hired CEO, the, the, the threshold is just, is just higher. Oh, it's really hard to force out a founder and somebody should write a book about <laughs> founders and transitions that can work. I can certainly remember reporting on when the Apple board had to make that decision in around 1985, and Ed Woolard and others from traditional corporations had to say, you know, they worked at it with Steve Jobs back in the 80s, moving him aside, giving him his own projects, allowing him to stay there, but putting uh, John Scully in charge. I was a little surprised that the WeWork board didn't find a way. I know they're keeping uh, Adam Newman as chair, but to keep Adam Newman more involved while bringing in what's often called the adult supervision, the Eric Schmidt, the Sheryl Sandberg, the uh, people could come in and do the day-to-day -day operations of a company. Stephen, what's the difference between the CEO who brings in somebody who they can work alongside and mm -hmm. share power? I think Mark Zuckerberg is probably this era's classic example. Um, and the one who, who can't, uh, you know, maybe Elon Musk in this case, he hasn't found anybody who he's willing to turn the reins over to. But I look at Tesla and I feel like, boy, yeah. he needs a Tim Cook, right? right? He needs somebody who's got that operational strength that he doesn't have. And then you got Steve Jobs on both sides. Early on, he brought in John Scully, mm -hmm. not the best match one way or another. And then later on, he brought in Tim Cook. Perfect. Right, right. Well, that's, that's the idea. You, know, you mentioned Google early on. Um, the founders did not want to keep their promise to the venture capitalists to bring in a CEO for the, quote, adult supervision. Um, and the, the VCs, you know, uh, John Doerr and Mike Morris of Sequoia, um, you know, had to basically sit on them and tell them, you know, we're going to pull out unless you do this. And what was interesting there is they brought in someone who was really a caretaker and actually built the company for a, a long time until the founder came back, which is another point that, you know, just as Walter knows and has written about, Steve Jobs came back at a time when a founder has the authority to take a troubled company when, when he or she is away from it and give it the credibility and fix it. You've seen that at companies like Reddit, where the founder 
left and, you know, if there was chaos, the founder comes back. Mm -hmm. So uh, in Facebook, a lot of people say that Mark Zuckerberg uh, should resign. But who besides Mark Zuckerberg has the authority, you know, and, the, the, you know, it's strange to say it, it's about someone so young, but the gravitas <laughs> to fix Facebook. And he is a, he is a big figure <laughs> in, in Silicon Valley. I, I'm not sure sitting here in New York, a lot of people realize just how revered for the type of company he built, the way he did it, the, the things he was able to navigate. The mythology, Stephen, is, is part of what the founders carry, right? Um, we talk about technology a lot as if it's, it's so much more sophisticated than basic things like story and writing, but isn't that a big part of what makes these companies what they are? Oh, definitely. Let me, let me pull an example from uh, way back in the, in the 80s. There was a company called Lotus. Mm. And a lot of people thought, you know, they were really going to be, you know, the, the company that was going to be the software power, not Microsoft. And the founder, a fellow named Mitch Kapoor, um, turned over his company to an operational guy. And, you know, they missed the big technological changes. And there is no more Lotus. Mm. Walter... Mm -hmm. Uh, there is something special that founders and inventors have. Maybe it's an authority about them. Uh, maybe it's an ability to lead. Uh, how far back does that go? What's the currency that that gives them that others don't have? Yeah, I mean, I guess I could go back to Leonardo da Vinci, who was just as crazy as any of the people <laughs> you mentioned, but he had a passion for perfection that it was something you see in a Steve Jobs, you know, a passion for bending reality that you see in an Elon Musk. I think, you know, uh, whether it be a Steve Jobs pushing reality or what they used to call his reality distortion field or Elon Musk's, you got to do that, especially with a company like Uber. I mean, Travis Kralinick self-imploded. But if you're going to take on an entire entrenched industry like the taxicab industry, you really do have to distort reality. That comes from having a vision and a vision connected to passion. But a vision connected to passion can be very, very dangerous. So one of the most important things you can do, Steve Jobs did it with, correctly with Tim Cook, uh, Mark Zuckerberg did it correctly with Sheryl Sandberg, is say, I gotta build a team, not just, act, not just push my vision. And Stephen, is it, we're talking again about founders and when's the time to push them out in light of the fact that uh, Adam Newman uh, stepped back from the CEO role at WeWork. He's not gone. He's still a chairman. Mm -hmm. He's still got lots of shares, lots of voting power. Uh, first of all. A lot less. <laughs> a lot less, but still got a lot. It looks to me like a situation, Stephen, where Adam Newman could be coming back. Well, they said that about people, Travis right? at, at, at Uber. I think, you know, uh, basically the performance of, of WeWork uh, would have to show some dramatic changes before he got back. Because he was associated not only with misbehavior, but the entire business model, which is falling apart now. But, it's, but the investors, SoftBank, mm -hmm. Walter, they were, they were backing that. You know, Masasong over at SoftBank said, hey, you guys aren't crazy enough. Uh, you're not spending enough of my money. I, I, granted, uh, I think the sentiment has changed a bit since, since those days and f when SoftBank was fueling all of this, but do you think reputationally Adam Newman is in as tight a spot as Kalanick was? 
Oh, I think that it's possible, and we've seen the movie before with Steve Jobs and many others, that an Adam could come back, but it would take somebody who really knew how to write the ship. The real question for a company that forces out a founder is whether you're getting Dara Kowalski at, at Uber or a John Scully at Apple or whoever they're going to get at WeWork. They now got a co-CEO arrangement and they're looking. You have to have somebody who's really good and that's the really dangerous thing is not just ousting the founder but finding somebody who can be more than a caretaker but still also take a lot of care. Is there process, Stephen, in how these leaders do it? You talked a little bit about the Google situation where uh, Larry and Sergey, I guess, didn't want to turn over the, the reins, but were kind of pushed to. In, in Facebook's uh, case, it seems like maybe Mark Zuckerberg was more on board and, and had a hand in, in really sitting down with Sheryl Sandberg, making the offer. Maybe he wasn't as pushed into it. How much does that matter in these transitions or sharings mm -hmm. of power? I, I think Mark um, understood the, you know, it was really important to have someone come in operationally. Um, you know, I, I've looked pretty closely at the history of Facebook doing, doing this book. And, you know, there was always a person who was in charge of the stuff that Mark didn't want to do. Mm. You know, Mark just loves product. He doesn't like to sit with customers. He doesn't like to go to Washington, D.C., though we've seen him there a lot recently, <laughs> uh, and talk to regulators and legislators, um, and he figured, you know, this is someone who could help me grow this company's culture, you know, because is something he had no experience with. He never had a job before. And also to take care of the stuff that I'm not so interested in, which is building up business model. How did he get to, to do that and maintain the CEO role, mm -hmm. though? It's not like he had to turn that over to somebody else. Is, is it because there wasn't seen as being a particular crisis at that time? It was just kind of like a, a growth stage sort of thing? What's the difference between the, the person who gets to stay mm -hmm. very much in charge right. and get a sidekick, you know, get a Robin, yeah. versus somebody who's just yeah. got to leave the Justice League? Well, the, the, the better your company is looking, the better a Robin you can get, <laughs> right? You know, like Sheryl Sandberg right. could, have been, could have been a CEO of a lot of companies, but she, she from her experience at Google, um, you know, when she was thinking of going there, uh, Eric Schmidt told her, like, look, when you have a chance to get on a rocket ship, get on. And she went from, from Google, and that rocket ship was already, you know, well into space, and, you know, got one, which was already a good point taking off that she could be in for a big part of the ride. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, in order to get a real quality person to come in, either as your CEO, so OO, your second in command, um, you know, you need to be, you know, a really substantial company with much bigger prospects, too. So you could have a part in taking that company higher. Uh, yeah, and Walter, how often is it that the, the co-founder, the CEO, who maybe is visionary, has some technical chops, is also the right person to grow that business, to get in front of customers, uh, to understand operations of a, of a larger company? Is that common? No, I think what you really need in a founder is what Steve Jobs always called a product person, who's just absolutely passionate every day about every curve on the case of the product or how the icons work. And Adam Newman was that way at WeWork. I mean, I remember walking through WeWork facilities with him and he, you know, he cared about every detail. You have some uh, CEOs like that, you know, um, uh, My Michael Eisner was that way at Disney. And then sometimes you get too micromanaging when you're much of a product person. But I think from Larry Page, to uh, Mark Zuckerberg, to Steve Jobs, 
to, uh, for that matter, Travis Kralinick and um, Adam Newman. These are people who really focus like a laser on the products. And another point I'd make, because you were asking about how do you navigate this, yeah. you know, there were great venture capital firms, you know, Mike Moritz and John Doerr used to know how to coach people. They used to have a great person they always called in uh, on the team, Bill Campbell, who was known as the coach. I think what we're seeing in SoftBank, you know, is a lack of this ability to coach the way a John Doerr, a Bill Campbell, or a Michael Moritz used to do. Wow, it's an interesting point, Steve. Uh, it, does Silicon Valley have, not the coach, but coaches hmm. anymore and the way it used to? Uh, and if not, does it need them at, at a level that it's really lacking? Right. Um, you know, so it's a great point that Walter had. I think you have to have uh, the, you know, a person who has the authority to say to one of these founders, you need coaching. You know, uh, I've, I've talked to a number of them, you know, some who work with Campbell, and they were very skeptical at first. So you need the right coach to be able to uh, come in and talk to a person who's used to being the top of the heap and no one tells that person what to do and to, you know, say, actually, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong. And, you know, you're right, Mr. Sohn, uh, that's not his role. He was a late-stage venture capitalist. D does that person have to have been a founder <clears throat> his or herself? Him or herself? <laughs> I think to have the authority to tell a founder to, what to do, the answer is probably yes. Someone, you know, Bill Campbell ran Claris and, you know, into it. So he was able to you know, talk to these people and, you know, and not only, you know, did he have literally coaching experience uh, in, in, in football, but, you know, he had, he had been there. And, you know, it, it is this sort of, you know, I guess you have to call it a fraternity because, unfortunately, there's not that many women doing it. There are, fortunately, more we're, we're seeing. But you know, it is a society, let's say, an elite society of the founder. Hmm. And you know, uh, if you hang around Y Combinator, which is the company that has you know, a couple hundred every year like new companies, that word founder is given you know, just in the same way like the word coach, say, is used in the NFL, right? right. It, it has an authority of its own and a magic of its own. When they decide who to give money to, it's not so much the idea that they're picking, it's the founder, mm. right? And if, and if the founder comes up with a different idea, you know, like a few weeks after they give the money, okay, come up with a different idea, we're betting on you. So, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think in a lot of ways it could go towards a successful company, but when it goes wrong, it can go wrong big time and it affects obviously the whole company on a profound level, as we've seen with WeWork. Yeah, and Walter, do you think, do you think we have a healthy relationship with that whole founder myth and that founder mystique? Uh, because sometimes it really is warranted. There's some people out there, they're just, you know, creative genius, technical genius. They come up with stuff. You want to follow them. And if you do, you end up creating a multi-billion dollar world changing whatever. But then sometimes it seems like we get wrapped up in, in this idea and, and people end up uh, taking investors or employees or all of the above for a ride. Is the balance quite right in society right now? Well, certainly if somebody feels like they're crazy, uh, you can take a bet on them and sometimes they'll succeed, but most of the time they'll flame out. I actually had a very, very personal experience with this in my career. I went over when I was at Time Incorporated, I moved over to run CNN. And Ted Turner, 
was still there. And one of the things I always tried to figure out whether is he was he crazy or crazy like a fox. I soon realized, you know, he was crazy like a fox. He was very passionate for the product. He knew what he was doing. Because of very complicated uh, corporate reasons, Ted had been removed from all sorts of authority. But when 9-11 happened, just a few months after I came to CNN, really within the hour after watching the towers fall, I went to another part of CNN Center to find Ted Turner. And I said, Ted, Ted, can you come back? And he came back into the newsroom, actually carrying a sword because he was crazy. <laughs> but I felt we needed that real vision then. And frankly, I mean, to be honest about myself, I could have used a coach because I was not quite prepared to run CNN. I didn't do a great job at it, and I did not have a coach that could be brought in to tell me here's how to do it. And that's why I grabbed Ted Turner, who still had the passion of the founder. Mm. Yeah. And fascinating, interesting uh, story there that we can all relate to at least the intensity of that moment. And I guess we're in a period, Stephen, in tech where we're potentially passing from one era into another. Larry Ellison is, is 75. Uh, he's one of the, the last uh, the last co-founders of that kind of size of company in the you know PC era, PC database uh, server era. Um, what are we losing mm. potentially as the founders of some of these companies start to fade? Right. Well, I think that the the next generation after them, you know, you still have Jeff Bezos who's a, you know, a very strong founder. We haven't invoked his name, but no one is saying that he needs you know, coaching or you, you know, but most people couldn't name um, his next lieutenants, let alone you know, there's no second in command, there's no Charles Sandberg uh, that, that Jeff Bezos you know, needs. That's so you know, there, there's, I guess, and you know, the, the Google thing, so you, um, though Sundar Pichai is not uh, a, a co-founder, um, he's an early Google employee who has the, you know, works with Larry Page, you know, um, still ha has his mark there. Shantanu so, Narayan at Adobe right. uh, as, as well. Um, you've got um, Satya Nadella at Microsoft. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think there's a very strong next generation. Let's say, you know, you mentioned, you know, Larry's the last of the, you know, uh, server PC era, um, but we still have, you know, like a lot of the, First internet wave there, and the question and Michael is, what, young, so, oh, okay, yeah. okay, but, but the question there. is, what is the, the the third generation there? You know, okay, or right. are they going to be the Adam Newmans, or you know, or are they going to be you know, going to kin to the, the Jeff Bezoses and Steve Jobs? Mm. And Walter, uh, I, I think, I, I, go ahead. I think you see it in every wave of new corporations. Uh, when I was sort of growing up in the business. It was a time for media moguls, people who were founders of media companies, as I said, Ted Turner. Uh, but basically, these people were larger than life, and they ran, you know, Time Warner, and they, you know, they uh, ran uh, the, you know, just the various Hollywood companies, and they all used to meet at Sun Valley and take that wonderful picture, and they were truly larger than life, passionate people. And then it got moved on to a successor generation. I bet you in almost every industry, 
from even banking, you know, to insurance, you could find the first wave of people who created an industry. And these are the people who created the tech industry we're talking about. But then the successive waves have to people who manage uh, the industry, and they're not going to be as flamboyant. And it's also, you know, very much they reflect the generation, you know, where they were born into, right? <laughs> so, you know, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg, I remember when he was going to give a speech at Harvard, um, uh, he called me in beforehand and we previewed this, this speech, and he made a big deal saying, you know, I'm the first millennial to talk at a, at a Harvard commencement, you know, and, I'm, and talk to actually sort of the tail end of, you know, of my own generation. You know, so if, if you look at people, people like Jack Dorsey, right? Mm. Um, how old he is and where he, he came from, you know, reflects his, you know, very unconventional, you know, personality. Uh, so much so that when he testified before Congress, he had that hipster beard and read his testimony from his phone. <laughs> so, you know, they, you know uh, the legislators, like, didn't know what to make of that. <laughs> How could he read text that small is what I think a lot of them were thinking, Walter. <laughs> you know, the thing about Mark Zuckerberg making that graduation speech at Harvard, you think back, you know, obviously to Bill Gates doing all the way to back to Ben Franklin getting his honorary degree. They're all dropouts, whether it's Zuckerberg or Gates, you know, people who've dropped out of college like that uh, get brought back. So that's also part of the rebellion. Yeah. Uh, and, and Steve Jobs an, being a dropout as well, of course. Yeah, and they drop out of school and they get brought back to give a speech sometimes when they get dropped out of these companies. That's how they get their degree. That's because, you know, because of the whole time, you know, their mothers are saying, where's that degree? And, you know, can I, and Zuckerberg actually said to his mother, so here it is, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, you remember the say, first line of Bill's, uh, Bill Gates' uh, Harvard speech? He looked at his father in the audience. He said, I told you, Dad, I'd come back and get my degree someday. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, and, and some of these founders who get pushed out come back and, and get their desk back, as we saw uh, with Steve Jobs. We'll see what happens yeah, Dorsey. with some of these. Yeah, Dorsey, too. Um, Larry Page. We'll see Michael what happens Dell. with this. Michael Dell. Yeah, that's true. I guess he sort of gave it up, but sort of, yeah. He, he, was, he was in the next office the whole time, but that's, a, that's another <laughs> good point. Um, Larry Ellison still got time to take the CEO title back. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, guys, Steve, Walter, thanks so much. That'll do One quick Knox. point. I can't wait. I can't wait for Steve's book. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I, I heard about it for the first time today. Facebook in January. Um, and I'm still trying to wrap my mind around a board firing Leonardo it. da Vinci. <laughs> 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 gonna... You have to be a member of the Medici family to kick him out of Florence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk about uh, talk about a tough crowd. All right, guys. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for being with me. That's it for Fort Knox. We'll see you next week. I'm John Fort from CNBC, and this has been Fort Knox, rich ideas and powerful people. Subscribe wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Check out the reviews on iTunes. Leave me a note. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox series on LinkedIn. That's brand new and a great way to keep up with the trends I'm seeing both on this Fort Knox show and in my other work on CNBC. That's also the absolute best way to be in touch with me. Leave a comment on the series. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox channel on YouTube, F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X.com slash YouTube. Matter of fact, you can go to YouTube now and see video of these conversations. Or you can go to the CNBC apps on Apple TV or Amazon Fire TV and find Fort Knox in the featured area. Meanwhile, share this. Tell a friend. Drop me a note on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or FortKnox.com. And as always, thank you for lending an ear.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 